to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for listening and making commitment to your learning. We hope that you are doing well today on um, this, I feel like it's bipolar weather type of day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're your hosts, Emmy Von Brandenburg, joined by the amazing Jordan Porter. Hi. What's up? How are you doing today? Um, I'm good. I'm working. And same thing, like it was like cold this morning and now it's like beautiful outside. So trying to figure out the weather. It was like super cold yesterday. And by super cold, I mean like fifties, <laughs> I think. Oh, that's, that's cold for you guys. That's, that's crazy. I know on Friday it was 97 degrees here. And then tomorrow, Monday, it's supposed to be 57 and raining. And I was like, that's a 40 degree swing. Yeah. Can that's what we handle did. it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we did. We uh, we had like some really bad thunderstorms, and then after the thunderstorms, like we had tornadoes and shit. Um, and after the thunderstorms and stuff, like it got like super cold, crazy. And guess what? When this uh, well today, as we're recording, today's Zara's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Zara! How how old is Zara now? She's four. She's four. She's still a baby. I know, but thank God, because I know that as soon as she hits like six to eight, like something's going to happen because she's my favorite. Mm. But then the puppies turn one on Wednesday. Shut up. The puppies are going to be one this week. Yeah. Can you believe that? In three days. Holy crap. No, I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm going through pictures of them back when they were like little and innocent and all they did was just poop everywhere. And like, oh God, I miss them so much being so little like yeah well how how little is the littlest one now scotty is probably he's bigger than zara so he's probably 75 pounds ah and he's the littlest one yeah he was <laughs> oh the run he was the one that like tried to die a couple times when he was a puppy <laughs> no Aww. he's my best behaved one too like all the other ones are awful <laughs> like, oh my just, god that's so funny yeah <laughs> Uh, I know. I just, uh, we just had our one year gotcha date for Kissy. So Kissy's been that. in the house a year, which is crazy. Can't believe it's been a year. So yeah. We made Zara a cake, a birthday cake this morning. Oh and yeah. We got a birthday cake for the puppies too. So Aww. is it bad cake like, for the remember. animals or are you guys eating it? No, no, no. It's cake for the animals. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's cool. Amazon has a bunch of different like options and stuff. So I got pumpkin cake and peanut butter cake. And I think I got another pumpkin um, just because there was one that was like birthday cake flavor. And then there was like a fake chocolate flavor. And then there was like red velvet, like nothing else sounded as good as like the pumpkin. And uh, I'm like dogs like pumpkin. Just go with pumpkin and peanut butter. Yeah. I thought they had a carrot cake which in my opinion would make sense, but for some reason, like they don't. So I don't know. Maybe because people like it with raisins and they don't want to put raisins in it. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, this week though, after we finished discussing our gotcha days slash birthdays for our pets, I know, right? uh, 
<laughs> this week we're discussing lymphangiectasia. Um, I have to say lymphangiectasia is one of my favorite internal medicine words. It's not because I, I struggle to get it out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did great. <laughs> I did okay. I just have to like slow it down versus like, you know how fast I normally like to talk. So it's mm. like that one I have to like think about. <laughs> um, but it's, it's basically when I was doing all the research for this, like so much PLE stuff came up and I was like, yes, I, I understand <laughs> that PLE is associated with this, but yeah. I just want to learn about lymphangiectasia alone. Um, so I do have a little bit more information about PLE, but if you want to kind of listen to how they coincide a little bit, definitely listen to last week's episode, which is 121, um, where we discuss PLE in depth. And we'll discuss it just a hair more in this, but we're going to focus mostly on the lymphangiectasia part, um, which is nice. going to be fun. I can't wait to say the word over and over and over again this episode. <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll oh, yeah. make it an hour long episode strictly because I have to slow down. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what is the definition of the disease? Uh, the word itself, lymphangiectasia, means dilated lymph vessels. Uh, as you know, there's tons of lymph vessels everywhere in the body, um, especially going to the gut. So, within the intestinal tract, usually there's some kind of like inflammation obviously <laughs> that will put pressure yeah. on, uh, the lymph vessels and that causes them to dilate. It's like pulmonary hypertension, but in the gut, like, oh, interesting. that's the way I think of it. Um, but yeah, it's typically caused by some sort of inflammation. So essentially like IBD, I'm, I'm going to like spoiler alert, IBD can cause lymphangiectasia, which then can cause PLE. <laughs> so yeah. Yep. Cause again, it's inflammatory bowel disease, which it kind of encompasses a lot of things, right? But it's the inflammation is what it's called inflammatory bowel disease, which is why there's multiple ways to treat it because <laughs> it depends on what's causing the inflammation. Yeah. And then inflammation blocking ducts can yeah. cause dilated. Like cancer can cause this as well, just yeah. because there's a local structure that causes the blockage, then it's not, it's not just inflammation, but if there, if there's something obstructing the lymph flow, then that can cause some lymph injectasia as well. Um, but it is commonly grouped together just with other malabsorption diseases as we were talking about PLE. Uh, but it has lymph injectasia alone has, has its own properties that, like I said, we're going to talk about. So what happens normally in the body this is my favorite. <laughs> So lymph fluid circulates through the body uh, as one would think that blood does. The heart actively pumps blood through the body while lymph is pumped passively. My favorite part is that lymph is moved through the body from muscle movement, not like pumped through the body from the heart or circulation. It's yeah. muscle movement that causes lymph to flow throughout the body. I was gonna, yep. I was gonna... Every, it's like the muscle squeezes, which squeezes on the vessels, which pushes the fluid out of the way. And, and lymph vessels have, um, valves just like, uh, blood vessels do. And that way the lymph do does it backflow in theory, of course, with inflammation and everything that kind of <laughs> screws up those valves. But yeah, this, um, I just, I think it's interesting because if you've ever been on an airplane and you get puffy feet, 
part of that is your lymph fluid. Like that's why they recommend that you like squeeze your legs and stuff like that to help not have puffy legs during airplane flights. Anyway, or just sitting for long periods of time in general. Like, cause I know right hospital, with us. <laughs> like when I've been in the hospital, like um, just for the various things that I've gone to the hospital for, they always like stick stuff on like the things on my legs that like squeezes them. Mm. Um, to help keep my lymph moving and not cause edema, which then can cause me to throw a clot. And so, um, yeah, I had those on my legs, like after my C-sections and stuff like that, just to help move. Well, cause I couldn't feel my legs at that time. <laughs> but, yeah. Good times. <laughs> can you take a guess as to what lymph itself consists of Yvonne? <laughs> I'm going to say fluid and lymphocytes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it also helps that you can see the notes currently too. <laughs> it does, but. But yes, we should guess that lymphocytes are going to be in lymph. Um, so as fluid collects from the tissues uh, and goes into the lymphatic vessels, again, similar to veins, like Yvonne said, um, that's how the immune system works is it, it kind of just puts the lymph in where it needs to go to direct the lymphocytes to where they need to go to, mm-hmm. um, which is why too, again, sometimes you'll see edema around sites of trauma. Uh, yep. but there are specific lymph vessels within the intestinal tract called lacteals, and those are designed to absorb nutrients, um, mostly fats. And then the intestines alone absorb nutrients through the microvilli, uh, again, insert, magic school bus reference here. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think microvilli are so interesting because you, you can kind of, you can kind of see them a little bit, like when you have lacteal dilations and stuff like that, when you're with the scope, you see it, it, it reminds me of, um, like a, a reef, like a, like a sea anemone. Yeah. Sea anemones and like reefs. Cause they, they'll like move and you can see them kind of moving as you're scoping which is pretty cool yeah it is really cool I really like to see that I mean like especially like you know those ones that are like super inflamed and you can really see them like sway and oh yeah yeah well and it's kind of cool because if you think about it they make sense in the intestines because it's all about increasing surface area to get the most nutrients out um because if it was just like a solid tube like that's not a lot of surface area but those those finger like protrusions just that maximizes the amount of like absorption area. And that's where like the lymph fluid is and the blood vessels, like the capillaries and everything. So it's, I don't know. I think it's super fascinating how it works. It is really fascinating because it's like the intestines are so much more detailed than what you would expect. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like there's so much more to it, like just between all the ducts that run into it. And like, I like GI stuff. Um, which is probably why we're internal medicine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as I kind of said to, um, I was kind of referencing that like, uh, pulmonary hypertension can actually, it, it's similar to lymphangiectasia. So venous hypertension though, as well. So when there's a uh, high blood pressure, that's typically seen with like congestive heart failure that can also lead to impaired lymph flow, um, as well, uh, which can then contribute to some GI signs that we might see. So sometimes there's loss of lipid um, and that can contribute to our uh, steatorrhea. 
And um, there can also be a malabsorption of other lipids such as like cholesterol. So we'll see on our blood work, hypocholesterolemia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can, that can also be seen with our lymph injectation, which I find fascinating that congestive heart failure can cause GI signs. I don't know why it just like, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't expect the GI tract to be. Well, but I mean, if you think about it, right. Like I think of like congestive heart failure and kidney disease is like the opposite ends of like the GI stuff. Cause congestive heart failure is like, you have too much fluid in your system. Um, and so one of the ways that fluid gets out is through stool. Um, so that's when you have like a congestive heart failure patient who may have diarrhea just because the body doesn't need to absorb that fluid out of the stool. So it goes out versus like you have that chronic kidney cat who's dehydrated. The reason they have like that rock hard stool that's constipate in the constipation is because they're trying to absorb as much fluid as possible in the, in the colon. Cause that's, that's what the intestines do. They help with fluid balance. And so it's just, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty, it's, it's interesting. And like, you kind of have to think of it on, on both sides of the spectrum of homeostasis. Cause we love mm-hmm. the homeostasis. That we do. And I, I guess I should have put this part down in the, the, diagnostics. But one thing that we can see a lot of, um, with lymph injectasia is decreased albumin. So our PLE. Mm. And so a lot of times what will happen is we'll see like hypocalcemia. So low calcium level as well from that decreased albumin because calcium is fine. Like albumin is calcium's binding protein. So if it doesn't have albumin, then calcium can't bind and circulate. So mm. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Huh? just messes up the whole balance of everything yeah like homeostasis guys (laughs) bodies figure it out right so lymph injectasia is very rare in cats which is funny because i feel like i've seen it in a cat but i don't i don't remember very well i guess like i feel like I feel like we think it's lymphangiectasia, but it always ends up being like lymphoma. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> That's probably what I'm associating it with. Yeah. Uh, there are small breeds, shocker, that are commonly predisposed to lymphangiectasia. One being the Yorkie being the most common, as well as our soft-coated Wheatons, our Norwegian Lundhounds. Um, although despite some of the research, there's not been like a genetic component that's been determined um, or defined in lymphangiectasia. A lot of the clinical signs that we'll see is what we see in IM. So we see weight loss, poor hair coat, chronic diarrhea, chronic vomiting. Um, And then of course, if it progresses to that PLE, uh, then you can see the fluid accumulation in the abdomen. Um, And that's what a lot of pet parents will notice is the, the bloated abdomen and then decreased muscle tone and and stuff like that. Which I wonder, um, cause I mean, if they have low calcium, I'm just, just thinking like, you know, like the, the, what they look like when they have low calcium, like, I wonder if, if you'll see that and we probably just miss it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm wondering if we, if we like, there's a, 
I don't recall ever seeing like a change in their gait. And if I do, I wonder if it's because I contribute it to like the ascites and like the bloated abdomen and mm-hmm. the muscle wasting yeah. then contribute it to like low calcium. Yeah. Huh. You know, hmm. it's interesting. Um, you can also see anorexia, but not always. Um, and then of course there's definitely blood work changes that we'll talk about in a, in a moment, but you can see peripheral edema, pleural fusion, and ascites again, just due to that PLE symptom or clinical component of it. Our differential diagnosis is going to be all the things. <laughs> right? All the GI things. <laughs> all the GI things. You got foreign bodies, you have IBD, you have, uh, well, PLE, yeah, lymphoma, um, Addison's disease, diabetes, kidneys, kidney disease, like all of the above. Right. <laughs> toxins <laughs> parasites um, definitely parasites so there's a lot of different changes or different differentials that you can have on your list because it's just one of those things where it's like chronic gi signs can mean anything right. um, so, <laughs> um we're going to be running our basic chem cbc t4 ua on these patients so some of the things that we might see are a low lymphocyte count um, because animals with lymph injectasia basically what happens is the lymphocytes are basically put into the intestines to be lost forever um, Mm. to not actually circulate through the bloodstream so that makes sense because it's right it's dilated so it's like Instead of keeping them, it almost like excretes, like dumps them in, like yeah, it dumps it. Yeah. So versus being able to actually like go through the cell wall into the bloodstream is kind of a bummer. Uh, Like I said earlier, it's you're going to see low cholesterol and probably low albumin, um, just because typically with lymph injectasia too, low albumin is the first most consistent finding that you see. So again, those signs of PLE refer back to last week's episode to right. <laughs> figure out what we talked about with PLE. Um, and again, oh, that's the other differential is PLN. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Because you want to make sure it's not going through kidneys. Yep. Yep. Well, so yes. Yeah, so low albumin levels can be from throat oh, degree burns, right? So because you've got serum leaking, trying to fix things, but I mean, we're not, I would think that would be an obvious, like, oh, look, we have a patient who survived a fire. That's why they have low albumin levels. Probably not a PLE <laughs> or a yeah, lymph injectasia. <laughs> That'd be weird if you missed like thermal burns. <sighs> yeah. Right. Unless it was like, I guess, I don't know though. Would thermal burns on the paw pads be enough to cause low albumin? If it's just on the paw pads, um, but it's how it would be hard to get third degree burns on the paw pads. Oh no. Like walking on cement during the summer and asphalt hundred percent. I mean, I guess too, you guys live in like California. We have a bunch of wildfires and stuff. So we get like pets that have. Yeah. Unfortunately we see during the wildfires, we see a ton of like really badly burned patients. Sucks. Sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. California problems, but we don't have that much heartworm. So there. 
Yeah, that, that's what you get. No, no. <laughs> we get foxtails and wildfires. It's fine. <laughs> oh, it was so sad. I, so I mentioned how we had really bad weather here. And like, so after the tornadoes, like there was tornado like 15 minutes from my house. And hard no. I'm not a tornado fan. I I don't know anybody who is a fan of tornadoes, but tornadoes is like one of my top fears. Yeah, same. same. I had like a little like, like, of course, on all the like pet missing pages, like there's so many pets that went missing during the tornadoes. And it's sad because then people would update like found. Unfortunately, he didn't make it. He was found under the rubble. There was one pet though that I was like rooting for that did recently get found. But I, was, I had a mini like panic attack with Matt. I was like, what would we do? We have way too many animals. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, it, that's a whole other episode that we could do, but like the bug out stuff. Um, Cause that's, I mean, that's what people had to deal with here with the wildfires. You just kind of leave things open and hope they get out. Yeah. My husband said that we would camp if we lost our house. And I was like, camp with 10 dogs and donkeys and stuff. <laughs> I was like, not to mention that if we know a tornado is coming, if we're lucky enough, like to know fast enough, like to be able to put the goats and the donkey in the garage, we could, but the chances of them having to just like wing it is pretty high. And I'm like, luckily we have enough closets under stairs that we could separate the dogs and like shove, like shove half in one and half in the other. Oh my God. And humans would get a separate closet i don't know it'd be hard yeah because you guys don't have like a tornado shelter right no there's no such thing as basements here right because you guys are close to the water yeah because hurricanes i guess right that'd be bad <laughs> all the windy damage oh jordan you just need to come back over this way I can't afford to live in california i mean i won't i won't fault you on that one so <laughs> California is too expensive. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, back to testing. Sorry, we got off topic there. So as I said, we want to do a urinalysis to look for protein loss in the urine. Um, so that way we can rule out PLN. We want to do a liver function test. Uh, so like our bioassets testing, again, just to mm. make sure that we're ruling out Addison's disease. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And like, so again, cortisol testing again, to rule out Addison's disease versus liver failure. I don't know why I said bile acids and then Addison's. Um, apparently my brain has not had enough coffee today. <laughs> right. Um, but as we talked about last week, the go-to like truly getting a diagnosis would be getting a biopsy mm-hmm. just to determine the amount of intestinal damage that's causing that protein to, to leak. Yeah. Um, of course, we can do abdominal ultrasound just to tell if there's other disease such as cancer that's pushing on those lymphatic systems that, like I, I talked about, causing backup. Um, sometimes what you can see with ultrasound is like mucosal striations uh, that's hyperechoic, and that can be very suggestive of lymphangiectasia as well. I learned this when I was doing my research that I guess corn oil um, can improve, like, administered to the pet can improve sensitivity. I've literally never heard that before. I have never heard of that, but I've definitely seen the, the hyperechoic mucosal and it looks like, like starry structures, like, yeah. like you're, 
So when you're looking at the mucosa of the intestines, cause normally you can see like the muscle layers and stuff like that. Yeah. But if it's, if you've got dilated lacteals, like you'll see these like speckly, like starry look to it. It's, you can definitely notice it and that makes it highly suspicious <laughs> for, for lymphangiectasia. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, biopsy tends to be the go-to. And as we talked about last week with surgery for these patients, you have to be very careful because they have very, um, you can't really rely on their blood pressure to stay, <laughs> right. oh my God. you know, of course they could have bleeding tendencies or tendencies to throw clots. Like we kind of talked about last, uh, I must said last month, last week as well. And drugs uh, so are going to circulate differently. And yeah. So if surgery is on the table, it is best to do it like endoscopically, uh, just to reduce the risk of bleeding things. But again, because biopsy is the go-to sometimes regular surgical biopsy is the only way to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if surgery is on the table, strongly push for clot testing, just to really ensure that those low protein levels haven't affected the pet's clotting ability. So I, so you found this information, right. And you said it was maybe Vin. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I use bits and pieces from different pieces, but like the majority of a lot of my information I was getting from Vin. So this is really interesting. So they're the, they're saying like prior to ultrasound or endoscopy, the few spoons of corna oil or other fats can give, be given prior to the biopsy um, so that the lacteals will dilate and be nice and plump and potentially even leaking fat visibly so that we know which areas are going to be the best to biopsy. That blows my mind. It does blow my mind, right? I'm like, like ah, so- could you, I don't even know what leaking fat from a lacteal would look like. I imagine it would look like that area that leaks oil, right? Like it would, I guess. Yeah. Like a shiny, it's the intestines are shiny when I'm in there. I'm like, huh? I know. Does it look like an oil slick? Like, you I know? wonder if it looks huh. like, you know, when you're in the bladder and then the, uh, you're oh, like when the ureter squirts. Yeah. I wonder if it looks like that. Maybe. Maybe just, well, yeah, I guess like, I guess that's true. Like when, I, when we're in the intestines, like you don't see anything being like excreted or at least I don't like, I don't see anything from the papilla or anything like that. So like, I guess, I don't know, maybe there's like a drop of fat that you can kind of see crazy. And I wonder if that's why they choose an oil. So that way it is a little bit more known versus like the typical moisture that's in there. Yeah. Like, I wonder if it would separate from, I don't know. It's interesting. I would like to see a video on it. If anybody has a picture of this or a reference that we can look at, <laughs> on it, let, like, let us know. <laughs> like, I bet you a teaching hospital has had to have done this. Yeah. This seems like a teaching hospital thing. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But like, part of me also wonders sometimes when I get information, part of me wonders if this is just like one, a person, like one, one person's thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh like, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, huh, nobody else does this, but yeah. I know. I know. Cause like, but I read it over and I think it really was on Vin. I'll have to go back and look through my resources, but like, there was a reason why I left it in there. Cause I was like, I was about to erase it. I was like, this sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Treatment. Treatment. 
different a lot last week and a lot of it's going to be the same, but really trying to address that underlying cause of inflammation. Um, so again, if IBD is the underlying cause of lymphangiectasia, uh, anti-inflammatories are going to be kind of the go-to just because we assume that there's inflammation in there somewhere if there's lymphangiectasia. Right. So we have all sorts of anti-inflammatories that we use, basically immune suppressing drugs. So our cyclosporine and our prednisone or prednisolone, uh, they're very popular in these cases, mm-hmm. um, especially like cyclosporine because it doesn't have the steroid effect side effects, uh, although you get the GI side effects, <laughs> which right. is a bummer if they already have GI signs. Yeah. We definitely talked about doing aspirin or clopidogrel last week mm-hmm. of when it comes to the ability um, for these pets to throw clots. So because of the low protein, um, they lose their anti-throb- antithrombin. Um, I'm sorry, they don't lose it. They have overabundance of antithrombin. And what it does is it throws clots in abnormal places. Um, so again... A lot of these patients, I think there's a rule of thumb on like, if the albumin's below a certain level to start these medications, it's not always started. Yeah. I think we talked about it in the last episode. Yeah. It was less than two. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course we talked about nutritional management of these, of these cases as well last week. Um, Mm -hmm. we really want a highly digestible, high in protein, um, diet because you essentially want to replace the protein that's being lost because again, a lot of these cases have PLE uh, with their lymphangiectasia. So you really want that like highly digestible, high protein, low fat. Sometimes you actually can't even get as low fat as you actually really need in these cases Um, with some of our commercial diets, especially like the over the counter diets. Those ones are like near impossible to get low enough. Yeah. And, and this is, this is one of those places where clients won't understand, right? They look at a nutritional label and they just read it and they're like, Oh, but it's like 7% fat or, you know, whatever the number is, but they don't understand that that's not on like a dry matter analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this is, this is one of the things that about labels that's really frustrating is it's very hard for a client to be able to figure out <laughs> what they need to look for. And it's very, very, very rare that you're going to get a commercial over-the-counter food that's going to work. And part of that is because that low pro or that low fat, high protein is not um, recommended for all life stages. And most foods are going to be AFCO all life stages. Otherwise it needs to be prescription, right? So that the wrong animal does not get a prescription type of diet. So it's, it's hard, but clients will look for it. And, and sometimes even our, um, prescription diets don't meet it for them. And then they have to get the um, nutrition consult for a specific diet for them. That's going to work. So yeah, that's always fun. Yeah. We'll have to get a nutrition BTS on here to talk We're, about some nutrition it's in the, it's in the plans. Um, I say that to you, like, you don't know that that's I know. Uh, so hopefully we'll have an episode on just like reading pet food labels. That would be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
same thing kind of applies to when we talk about like doing probiotics for these patients and stuff like that, we're really going to want to try to stay away from the flavorings and things like that, just because we want to eliminate any possibility that the inflammation is coming from allergies. So a lot of these, uh, diets should be hypoallergenic technically, but like, right. Cause the problem is, is if like they're allergic to something that causes inflammation, which causes more issues. So it's a lot of times probably the hardest part of like managing these diseases. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the thing is like, there's, there's usually not one specific diet that's going to work for all of them. Um, and that's the most frustrating thing for clients too, is like, we say, okay, these are the ones we recommend starting, see how it goes, but we may have to try other things. So, um, yeah, it's hard. And then a lot of these patients too, as we said last week can benefit from cobalamin injections. So vitamin B12, uh, if there's protein loss, like significant protein loss, they actually can lose vitamin D3. Um, mm. So that's a common supplementation to do. But I want to say we don't do it a lot for the risk of too much vitamin D. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and I think you can test for it, right? You can test yeah. a patient to see if they have low D3, which is the, isn't it hydroxy? Hydroxy something, something. I don't remember, but I believe you're on the right track. So I had to do a Texas A&M route to get to the Michigan State University. Um, so to test for vitamin D, it's the 25 hydroxy vitamin DX. That's what it is. Um, and that lets you know um, if they've got vitamin D toxicity or deficiency. I was going to say, I knew I, I knew I'd sent it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And prognosis varies on these patients too, just depending on the severity of when they come in and how mm-hmm. treatments are working. Cause as we talked about last week, I've had a definitely a couple patients that just don't respond well to treatment Yeah, and trying to keep up with those protein losses is so hard. Yeah. Well, and, and I've had one where God, we tried so many different things and it wasn't until we finally got the nutrition consultation from UC Davis. Um, and they started on like this one specific diet and, and like they added this one specific thing. And then all of a sudden it was just like miraculous turnaround for this patient. So mm-hmm. the problem is it's like figuring out what treatment is like their quote unquote magic bullet. Because yeah. it really, it's, it's different per, per each patient. Like, yes, we know these things and typically will work, but it's like, well, which one is it that's going to really like be the game changer? And it's hard because with so many of our other dr- like diseases, like we have like those drugs that are going to work, but it's when you're talking GI and, and sometimes like it's, it's that multimodal thing for GI, right? You're you're doing like the immune suppression and the anti-inflammatories and the antihistamine, like low, you know, low histamine diet. So it's, it's, it could be a bit of pain in the butt. So when we're talking with clients, that's, yeah, it's not so, a quick disease to cure. Yeah. <laughs> great. Like, because you can literally just treat it with diet and then others mm-hmm. are like you need the diet, you need the, the steroids, you need the immune suppression. Like Ugh, it's, yeah. it's so frustrating and like, Well, and then you have those pet, like I had one, it's like, 
um, you know, once they're kind of under control and then they get into something. Oh, yes. Right. Like they eat something off the counter that they're not supposed to, they get in the garbage or they pick up like one thing outside in the girl in the backyard. And like, it sets them off for a good month or two. And it's like, those are the worst. You're so frustrated. You're like, no. Um, and those are hard for clients too, because it's like, God, working to get there. And then you got to ramp everything back up, get the inflammation under control again. And then, so long-term it's, you know, you you probably are going to have a quality of life discussion with these clients, depending on how bad they are. And then definitely like having that discussion of like, no, seriously, like no treats, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Like you could give them a treat for their birthday, but you're going to be paying for it. Like it's just not worth it sometimes. (laughs) Definitely not worth it. Um, My caution is going to be the same as last week because (laughs) (laughs) that these patients have the ability to throw clots. So PTEs are possible in these patients. So definitely keep that in mind when treating your severe GI patients, especially when Mm. there's protein loss involved. Um, because again, we want to limit the ability of them to clot and throw a clot to their lungs. It's the tip of the week. I'm going to say it's a semi tip of the week is the corn oil thing. Yeah. Right. But it's the tip of the week, it's a a tip of the week with an asterisk next to it that says, find out more about it. (laughs) We don't necessarily recommend it unless we find a really good reference for it. That's our tip of the week. Make sure yes. you get a reference. <laughs> and now for the question of the week. Has anybody done the corn oil thing? <laughs> ah, has anybody done the corn oil or the fat thing? Um, do you have pictures of this fat that is exuding <laughs> from a lacteal? Because, <laughs> um, yeah, that would be interesting to find out. That'd be that would be a cool video if like you could actually see it like kind of into the duodenum or something. That's so crazy. That'd be a cool video. I bet you if I email the magic school bus, they'll make a show. <laughs> cause you because you have that power now. Yeah, I have that. <laughs> In your back pocket. <laughs> yeah. If I had that connection, I'd pro- probably be so much smarter. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds really horrible, but you know what it makes me think of? Hmm. Do you remember those chips like in the, what was it? The late nineties, early two thousands, like that was like the fat was an absorbable or something. And it was like, they had the warning that says may cause anal leakage. Yeah, that was Pringles. <laughs> no, I think it was a bunch of them. <laughs> I don't think it was just Pringles, but it makes me think that like here, oh, I remember oil, it's just going to leak like, out of you. <laughs> yeah. I remember specifically my brother came to me and showed me a Pringles can. He's like, dude, look at this warning. I was like, <laughs> You're like, I'm never eating it again. Yeah. I was like 10 years old. I was like, yeah, that's never happening. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing that being like, why would you eat that? That's a horrible side effect to a chip. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what's happening that. with the lacteals. It's just like lacteal leakage. So I wonder if it's corn oil then that they used to use. And then no, so it, was like, it was, it was not corn, corn oil because corn oil isn't like everything now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh man. This is, this is probably some other like horribly synthetic something. <laughs> right. It had to have been fake if it's doing that. Like the, yeah. the body's body's like, get rid of that. 
All right. Well, um, I'm excited to look at your, your VIN um, reference because I don't know, it seems really cool. Yeah. Um, anything else we need to talk about this week before we head out? No, I don't think so. Do you have any lectures coming up? I do actually. <sighs> uh, the end of this month, I will be uh, yes. So the end of this month, I am going to be at the San Diego County Veterinary Medical Association, uh, their spring technician seminar, um, which will be, it'll be cool. I'm talking about, talking about six different things. So um, endocrine, so I'm doing the, our continuous glucose monitor, diabetic ketoacidosis, and then GI, I'm talking about vomiting and diarrhea, go figure. Hematology, I'm doing uh, Evans syndrome and then uh, cross match and platelet counting. So um, if you guys are there, if you please, please, please say hi to me because <laughs> yeah. I won't know anyone. So I'm going to be the dorky shy wallflower when I'm not actually lecturing. So please say hi to me. So I won't feel quite so alone, <laughs> but that is end of April, 2022. So, um, definitely check it out if you're in Southern California. And then other than that, I think it's just June when we're at ACIM, right? Yeah, exactly. Sweet. All right, guys. Well, um, anything else? I think that's it for now. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, have a great week, you guys. Keep getting your learn on and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.